We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal commit to attacking performance by chasing the game for 88 minutes. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We want attacking football. We want dynamic, progressive football. Push the ball up the pitch. Get men into the box. Ensure that we are putting the opposition under pressure. And what better way to do that than to gift them a goal in the second minute, ensuring, therefore, that you will be chasing the game. And I just want to say it was a delight to be chasing the game with not nine men, not even ten men, but there were... Lo and behold, 11 Arsenal players on the pitch. Uh, Unfortunately, the outcome was not what we would have hoped for. And uh, yeah, that's something that we will certainly get to and probably try to figure out how to distinguish between the outcome, the performances, and and where we fall between those two. Um, I think that's getting tricky. when, When you're winning every game and you're playing really well, it's easy to know what you think. When you're still playing pretty well, but not winning, and in fact, not drawing, and in fact, losing uh, every game, it gets a little trickier to decide what you think, and we will try to pull that apart, uh, as well as maybe pulling apart some refereeing decisions, among other things. So, real quick, uh, we are going to talk refs a little bit today, but we are going to have a full-throated debate about VAR and referees and the state of the game with the rules, the laws of the game, all that, on Patreon this week, so that we can really dig into it without... Um, ruining a, an Arsenal discussion. We'll, we'll sort of uh, separate that, segment that out, and make it its own Patreon pod. We'll also have a second half rewatch of the Villa game, which I, I think will be an interesting watch, as well as our Premier League roundup. So if you want to join us there, we'd be delighted to have you. And that will be it for the sponsored, hashtag sponsored content today. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. 
And Tim's on Twitter. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. Okay, let's just dive into this right away. And Clive, I want to start with you. The There are things that happen in a game that make it hard to analyze the game as normal. Uh, going down to nine men would be an example of that, like we did with Wolves. Another example of that can be falling behind very early and being put into a posture where one team can defend more deeply, more compactly, more uh, ex extensively than they anticipated, and you are playing a game that is more uh, focused on trying to get back into the game for, for, the, for the entirety of the match. And that, obviously, is where we found ourselves today. So, uh, not today. We don't find ourselves there today because we're not playing today. It's where we find ourselves discussing today. So I'm curious for you how you feel the, the early goal, the concession of an early goal, set up the patterns of this game, and if you know, maybe that influenced you know, a little bit of the way we saw ourselves play, especially with some of the challenges we had in the final third. Yeah, my feeling is, and was, um, that's the perfect start for Villa. That's what they like doing, right? So they they did well against us on the counter-attack at, at the Emirates. They get the first goal, and they can do exactly the same thing, and they beat us properly at the Emirates, and they were able to do that successfully again. And I think Villa have beaten us three times now on the road. With a similar style of play, where they they score and then they hold on, and um, we've um, they hold they held on pretty easy in the Emirates game, but but you know, at least we've had some pressure in the other two games, but we haven't managed to score against them in the last three games, I believe. So they have a way of defending their box. They barricade, and Tyrone Mings is a very good deep line centre back. In fact, he gets very deep, sort of um, John Terry style. Actually, John Terry, if you ever watch him. Defending, he does defend really deep in his box. He goes in front of the goalkeeper. He really is a block merchant. And Tyrone Mings is, you know, very similar in his defensive style. When you get him into wide spaces, he's not quite as good. Very similar to John Terry. So we played right into their hands, really, and by just not turning up on time. And um, it's really frustrating, you know, coach's responsibility to get a team ready to go, but game plan. But it's really hard to sort of dictate how people are going to be. They're going to be awake. Those little things, those soft factors. Are you awake today? You know, mm. we have a plan. How are we going to play? They obviously just took a sting in from West Ham. They've come out firing, firing into us, knocking us around, smashing into us. We're not going to be dictated to. Let's dictate to them. Let's play at a high pace. Let's get really physical. Let's get them going. They've got bad discipline. Let's get after them. Let's kick them. Let's push them. Let's a bit of chat on the way on the on when we're walking away from them. Let's see if we can get them down to ten men. That's what I would say. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, let's see how they react to it. And if we get the first goal, then let's be you know ultra physical and we'll break. That's exactly my team talk. If I was Dean Smith, and of course, what do we do? <laughs> Cheers, lads. There you go. There's the goal. <laughs> Two minutes in, let's just set the play nicely. Give you a goal. Uh, do, do you want me? Do you want me to go into the goal? Well, <laughs> but, I, I mean, can I ask you a question, just super quick? I, I have seen it said that this is a lack of concentration issue, um, and I think, I think there's an attempt to sort of create a narrative, not create a narrative, that makes it sound like an agenda, but I think sometimes our brains work where we want to find patterns. So people say, oh, you know, we failed to concentrate at the end of the first half um, against Wolves and it cost us, and we failed to concentrate at the start of this game. I don't think it's concentration. I think it's a right-sided player on the left side, you know, early in the game, hasn't had a lot of touches, and just body shape doesn't hit it right, 
maybe you could say holding's not concentrating because there's a bit of ball watching there. But this to me just seems like an error, not a lapse in concentration. Yeah, two or three mistakes in every goal. You know, firstly, Martinez drills a lovely ball into centre mid, which cuts out a couple of our lines straight away, and they manage to retain it. Clip a ball into the channel. Gabriel knocks it down to um, Cedric. Cedric tries his best to open his body out to put it onto Gabriel's left foot, which doesn't hit it right. Gabriel's got a choice now: do I do I drop or do I go and smash it? Do I just run up to it and let someone run past me? He chose the latter. <laughs> so run past him. And this is the bit that's really not great, right? So you've got one man in the box. Very simple. Rob holding got one man in the box. He's three yards away from you. And you just do a quick look over your shoulders. Have a look around who's behind you. No one's behind you. You've got four or five of your mates. we the boys on the edge of the area. What do you do? First thing you do is you just go right next to Watkins and you just touch and feel, right? You just feel him so he can't get any movement without you blocking him. He just looks at the ball and he crosses it. And then when he goes to block it, he doesn't close the distance. So when you don't close the distance, you're open to deflections. You see when they're good blocks, or just look at the distance. It's not it's not luck that doesn't go <laughs> deflects in. They go close. So the ball comes back out. If you go far away, then the ball can deflect off you. And that's exactly what happened. So bad mistakes, bad concentration, bad quality, actually. Quality, bad quality on the touch. Bad decision from Gabriel, but maybe he's the least to blame. And Rob Holding, who's a you know decent defender, when work comes to him, mm. when he has to search for work, by that, by that I mean reading of the game, go somewhere before it arrives, then that's where he struggles. When the ball comes to him, deep line, corners, heading the ball out, when the work comes to him, he's really good. But he doesn't search people out, doesn't laturally move them. It's the same problems, mate. Been there for years. I've spotted them before. And we conceded. And then we're watching a different game, aren't we? We're not even watching a game we can analyze because now we're running after it, which is a real shame. Yeah, and so, Paul, I guess, I mean, certainly if you want to weigh in on whether you think that's that's concentration, it's an error. I mean, I, I, the funny thing is you'd expect me to just want I'm to get... With s- you. I'm with, with you on that. I think it's a mistake of a player who doesn't normally play those angles, those positions, and leaves it short and is punished way beyond that particular error, but that's yeah, how it goes. That's, that's becoming a feature, by the way. I mean, look, every single team makes a mistake in every single game, and in the last two games... Our mistakes have cost us two sendings off, a penalty, and a goal that is a, a and it's everything, right? I mean, they, they latch onto the ball right away. He makes the perfect pass into the box. There's a defender in position. It hits him in such a way that it's taken directly into the corner. Uh, yes, yeah, suspensions also. Thanks, Clive. Suspensions. I mean, we're just, we're being punished as fully and aggressively and excessively as possible, which, you know, if you're into like, BDSM or something that that could be thrilling, but when you're uh, supporting a football club, it's it's certainly less f- fulfilling, and I don't know why I went there. Um, but so, se- setting aside the fetishization of, of meeting out punishment, I, I think whatever happened to a little kiss, a little cuddle? Yeah, doesn't all have to be slap and tickle. Um, so, look, <laughs> this is this is great. This is this is good free flowing podcasting, and I'm proud to be a part of it. I feel like this should have been a manscaped ad, but we're not doing one today. Um, so. 
Yeah, look, I mean, and we and we do get thoroughly punished by it. I, I think the player for me that gets impacted most by this development is probably Smith Rowe, actually, because when the game is a little more stretched and there's a little more space between the lines, it gives Smith Rowe more opportunity to find the space between those lines, stitch it all together, and, and you know, we've seen him do that in a lot of games. In this game, similar to to what we've seen in games where we've been chasing, Party and Shaq were able to get a lot more um, forward on the pitch, and I don't know that there was as much space between the lines for Smith Rowe to operate, and it gets compressed. So are there a few ways that you think our, our general way we'd like to build play or how we'd like to attack may have gotten sh- short-circuited by the fact that Villa could defend a bit deeper and we had, had to push further into their half? Well, I guess I think building play was probably the strongest part of our game. I think moving between the lines, uh, we were very, very good. Yeah, that's fair. I would uh, agree with that. Yeah. yeah, it's what we it's when we got into the final third, the decision making like we had really good combinations in the final third, but they were over the edge over at the edges of both sides of the box. You, you there was some nice interplay between triangles of whoever might be there, Saka, ESR plus one other, or Saka, Pepe, and and whoever. And that bit was really good. And But in the middle, now you have to give Villa a lot of credit. Uh, we talked about it in the instant reaction pod, but like they were re- against a Newcastle or somebody like that, if we'd had those chances in and around the box against uh, their centre-backs, Fucking Mings was there every time, uh, first there, um, to cut cut danger out, etc. Sometimes you just got to give some props to to the centre backs. They were everywhere they needed to be. The big fucking loafs, um, and but our weakest part was our decision making. Just as we're going into the box, um, the you know crossing when it needed a cutback. Um, people making the run at the right time. And let's be honest, we haven't had, I know we've had a few good games, etc., but uh, we haven't had a season of playing the way we're playing right now. It's kind of all new. And the hardest part, as Van Persie memorably talked about, uh, you know, the quickest decision-making happens in the box. The striker has a fraction of what, an attacking midfielder has who has a fraction of what a midfielder and a defender has. And it, it, it's kind of, it's not quite orders of magnitude. Maybe it's a bit linear, but once you get into the box, decision-making has to be automatic, quick patterns develop. You know, we've, you know, we've, we've had a lot of change and it, we're new to this toothpaste being all the way up the tube. Now we've got to work out how best to apply to the brush and, we had we created we, a lot of good opportunities. We talked about uh, pre-creation. Um, you know, the the pass before the pass is where things went a little wrong. The assist before the assist, and I, I don't know that there's a magic fix for that apart from you know Pe- Pepe. We've only rehabilitated Pepe into the lineup uh, as a as a semi-starter. And it's all different. And he's playing from a different side. Um, during this game, he switches. So there's a lot of patterns been evolved and developed. We brought on Odegaard. We played with basically, wasn't quite two attacking eights, but could have been ESR and Odegaard running around. So it was all new and different. And uh, we're, we're not good yet at what happens when the ball comes into the box is my assessment of it. 
Yeah, I, I mean, the, there's definitely... Look, we're a team that scored 27 goals in 23 games. Now, I realize if you look at what we've done from an attacking standpoint since the Chelsea game, it's totally different. So you almost have to look at it like two different seasons. But, um, you know, when we get into the center forward discussion a little bit later on, we will be talking about another game where Alexander Lacazette had no shots. Uh, Not that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang came on and and lit the world on fire, although he had a chance that maybe he could have done better with. We'll come to that. Uh, Tim, I, I think... I have to agree with Paul. I, I like the way we built play in this game. I, I still think, mm. you know, look, if I just forget the scoreline for a minute, just forget wins and losses, and you say, I have to watch the Villa game again, or I have to watch any game you want to pick from November, December, I'm picking the Villa game 10 times out of 10. The football is imminent. It's just imminently more watchable. It's imminently more coherent. The players are in positions that seem natural. The ball moves at the right pace. Thomas Party, I think, has had a massive, massive impact on that, the way he draws in players, shifts past them, pushes the ball up the pitch. Granite Shaka has been sort of revitalized by that. Smith Rowe, who I thought was a bit quiet in this game, but again, you know, his movement and creating another option has been really valuable. The, the Pepe thing is interesting because a lot of moves came to Pepe and either died there or got really exciting there. It was sort of back to one of those games with him where it's hard to measure between the fact, well, he's one of our most exciting players making things happen, but also a lot of moves are are stalling at his feet. So, you know, would you agree that the, the issue here was that once we got the ball into the final third, and especially when it came to Pepe, there was just a lot of sort of looseness and sloppiness with that final ball that prevented us from from really creating the chance we needed? Yeah, a little bit. And um, I, I, I can't really ask this question without jumping ahead in the running order <laughs> and talking about strikers. Um, I'll, I'll try and like avoid the meat of the discussion. But I, I think essentially what we've done, we've introduced that number 10 into the team. And we've got more presence between the lines, um, but we still don't have enough presence in the box. Um, I, th- I think that's the issue. You know, I, I've said for a long time, I think capitalising on periods of at least territorial dominance has been a big problem for Arsenal under Arteta. They're, they're just not getting enough goals for the, e- even the time they spend in the final third. Now, in November, December, even getting in and, and before that, probably getting the ball into the final third was a massive effort because we didn't have that number 10. We've kind of sorted that now. We can get the ball into the final third, but now there's another bit to bridge that gap, and that's having more presence in the penalty area. Um, Ian Wright did a, a really good bit of analysis on uh, Lacazette on Match of the Day on Saturday Saturday night for viewers in the UK and anyone else who can see Match of the Day, um, where he, he kind of talked about he kept showing the moves where Lacazette was coming outside the box, combining, you know, often combining fairly well, but coming into an area where Saka and Smith-Rowe were already there. And and like, this isn't a criticism per se. I get that. That's what he wants to do. He wants to come short and come and riff with his teammates. But then Ian Wright kind of, you know, with the graphic showed penalty area for Villa defenders and Pepe. And, um, and, and that's the problem, right? For, for me, I think um, if you're playing a 4-2-3-1, you've effectively got a front four, your front three and your number 10. I still think the balance you want there is broadly. Um, obviously, this is this is um, like this is quite a, a vague, wide, broad description. But I think broadly, you want two creators and two goal scorers. I think that's what you want in a front four. And I don't think we quite have that balance. I think, um, and this might sound weird <laughs> considering where we were a month or two ago. We've kind of gone the balance, got the balance now where we've got the creators but not really the scorers. 
um, because Lacazette, I mean, Lacazette can do both. I mean, he is our top scorer. He has scored quite a few goals this season. Um, you could also say that Arsenal's attacking um, became less promising when he came off, but it's it's almost like we need 12 men right we just we need what we've got and another in the penalty area like mm. we can't just have pepe we can't just have a bamiang there um you know smith rose a creator um i think saka again saka can do both but he's still to me he's part of the build up he's like um I, I guess he, he reminds, and this this is quite the compliment. I guess he reminds me a little bit of Robert Perez, not not so much in like his style or anything, but he he can do both. Like he's it, like you want Robert Perez as part of your build up, but he can finish as well. Yeah. But primarily he's part of your build up, and that's where I see Saka. It's like I don't see Saka. Saka can be on the end of a move, but I think largely you want him just as involved as much as possible because he's so good. And and so for me that that's where the balance is wrong. We need that extra penalty area area presence. Smithrow can give it to us sometimes, um, I think. But again, his primary job is creative. So it's it you know it's and I know we're going to have this. Discussion it was later. funny watching it's, Joe Willock crash the box to score yeah. for Newcastle. By the way, <laughs> just as you mentioned, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and that's a great move for him, by the way, because Newcastle don't want the ball. They don't want their midfielders really to build possession and they've got really slow midfielders like John Joe Shelby who just stand in the center circle so that's a great move for him because he can just do that and and like I, I don't think he'd be able to replicate that at Arsenal so much but it, it's for me it's about penalty box presence there is there just isn't quite enough of it and you can see that we're just not scoring enough goals and if you take this game Brighton away Palace at home Wolves away like all of them have been tight margins and some of the margins have gone our way and some haven't like Wolves we could have won Brighton we could have lost Palace we could have lost 1-0 we could have won it 1-0 like we're back in we're back in like a little bit where we were under Emery where like we were we were really really playing with the margins and what we need is more penalty box presence so that when we have our 15 minutes in a game we score twice or we you know or we score at least once um, maybe I, I I see that as like maybe the next issue for Arteta to fix. Yeah, and so Clive, well, I'll let you build on that if you want, but I also want to talk about another issue then that that came up with with build up. So when Villa were in their low block, you know, I thought we moved the ball forward pretty well, and and we created some chances. You know, as we've discussed. Look, we've we've talked about this all season long. Breaking down a, a deep defense is difficult, and even the best teams struggle to do it at times. But there were times when the game got stretched and there were times when we made the wrong choice. I think of Lacazette on a really good counterattack, uh, holding the ball too long and trying to slip it to Saka on his right uh, and having that cut out when Pepe on the left was probably the easier option, the earlier option. There were a few moments like that. But let's face it, when the game got stretched, when it looked like we were cutting through them a little bit, Villa's plan A was rotational fouling. And... I don't think you can look at this game without, you know, in our failure to get the goal to get us back into the game without looking at rotational fouling as a big part of why that was. I mean, Saka specifically got targeted and there was just a lot of kicking players when they were running at, at Villa, you know, running at the, the Villa midfielder or back line. So I, I don't, you know, I, I feel like rotational fouling is such an effective strategy because in general, Referees are just never going to give the volume of cards you'd have to give for that amount of fouling. 
because they could literally be sending off one, two, three, four, you know, you name it, four players by the end of the game. So, you know, is is that a big part? I, I hate to throw off responsibility. You know, it's Arsenal's fault that Arsenal was down 1-0. No one else's. And it's Arsenal's fault that Arsenal didn't score a goal. There were presentable chances that we didn't take. Um, you know, the Odegaard one in particular comes to mind. But, you know, when you're telling the story of the game and analyzing why we struggled at times, I don't think you can elide a discussion of the fouling, and, and that can certainly lead into some very questionable refereeing decisions. So before we really broach the refereeing topic fully, do you think the rotational fouling in particular was it was a big part of the challenge we faced? It's the next challenge, right? Because um, Saka's been targeted, and that's the next challenge for his career, much like Greenish is targeted every single week and was struggling until Barkley came along and they could share getting kicked. Right, so um, they can start passing the ball to each other, which creates a double problem, and that's why they've been more successful this year alongside a couple of other smart additions, like a new goalkeeper <laughs> and a good right back. So, um, so yeah, that's what's happening there. So, is it a big deal? I suppose they decided that was a strategy that works against Arsenal because Arsenal have got discipline issues, react to these things historically. And recently, and they wanted to re-establish themselves, as I said earlier. So, is it a problem? It's only a problem where you don't officiate it really correctly, and you allow these things to continue. Um, I don't think we could do anything about it. They did it smartly. The referee did kept his cards away, so they kept on doing it until the cards come out, and that's that's the game. We've seen that right way back to the the 50th game. That's what exactly what happens if you the referee creates the environment by which you play, and um. We get into referee discussion now, which I don't really want to go into, but the creative environment which we play, every game used to have its own temperature. Now it doesn't have its own temperature because you get pulled over to a screen to decide exactly what should happen, depending on the day, which is an inconsistency in itself. So, um, so yeah, it's one of those problems. I, I don't think it's a major factor in the day, if I'm honest with you. I think the forward thing is a, is a bigger issue. And um, I think to build on Tim's point, our issue really you know he summarized it by saying penalty box presence which is we could we could all see that there was nothing in there <laughs> basically and um but if you want to take it back a little bit further it's um the issue for us is secondary movement so when we do that build up play Lacazette comes short sets the play he doesn't spin he doesn't turn around and get aggressive and then fill the box he decides that's my job done but he's now coming into an area where there is a 10. So he's basically coming into an easy area where it's an easy pass. And he's almost subcontracting out his centre-forward role. So someone else needs to get in there. I sometimes feel, is it, a, is it a plan? So why are you coming short when there's bodies there? Stay high. Take responsibility for the number on the shirt. On the, on the back of your shirt, take responsibility. You are number nine. Take number nine responsibilities. Don't take the option of showing the man your shirt number and just setting the play and not getting into the box. And he's our top scorer, by the way, 10 goals and 27. So for me, he needs to take more seriously his role. And also our movement in the box is just flat. We just stand there. We don't have movement. Did anyone see the um, the Rashford cross to Cavani sometime in the week mm. when he just combined the two runs, bang, back post header? Very simple cross we have loads of crosses don't we but we don't have that movement one run short step moving forward as the ball's coming as you're moving forward you get a better jump header goal very simple 
we do not survive when in the box. Our secondary movement is shocking. Our movement, ability to shake people, separate people, gamble, near post runs. We just stand there like under 10s in the box. And it's been a consistent thing. What's happening? The team is evolving. You know, it's just evolving and the problems are evolving with it. A couple of months ago, we were talking about shots against, all shots we were conceding. Then it went to like centre midfield, you know, passing backwards. We had the old stats of like playing in our final third a lot, square passes around the horseshoe. Then it was like, okay, we're spending too much time in our final third. I think it's about 32% highest in our final third. Then we start talking about we ain't getting enough shots. We ain't getting enough shots. Then we got the old crossing issue. Then we went to creativity issue. Then we put number 10 in. Start playing 43 1. We're good, we're good. We're now building up. We're now building up. Shit. Our forwards are not standing there. You know, they're not there. They're not there. We need to be. Our efficiency in the last third is poor. The team is evolving. And the, I don't want to quote Paul's saying, but the problem's going up the pitch. And every time the team evolves, we start to look at what's not working. Is our fullbacks crossing properly? As our centre forward controlling the ball properly? Is he moving correctly? Is he efficient correctly? Is he even there? And I think this is an evolving situation, but it's actually a good thing because now we're not talking about build-up, creativity. We talk about something else. And I think eventually we're going to realise exactly what the rebuild is going to require because of how we're playing and the habits that have been introduced and the evolution of the team. And I think that's the real real eye-opener from this game, actually, because Villa really showed us who we actually are and where we're actually lacking. Yeah, yeah, and I I think based on the topics we want to get to in this podcast and, and the fact that um, a four-hour podcast isn't as fun as it sounds, we probably won't get to, I, I think, heap enough praise on the Arsenal players who deserve it because I think naturally when you lose a game, the focus tends to be on what we didn't do right. And a lot of that is going to be in the final third, apart from one moment momentary mistake um, uh, by Cedric. I do think, you know, Cedric has been a competent stand-in for Tierney. And by the way, you know where I stand on, on backups. Backups are not supposed to be the same level as starters. I mean, it's nice if they wind up being that way, but they're meant to be competent stand-ins, and I, I think Cedric has been. There's absolutely no question that we miss Tierney's contributions in the final third on the left. Even if you think Cedric can be better than Bellerin in the final third on the right, and, you know, Bellerin has become a really polarizing player, as they all seem to at some point or another. Uh, I don't think Cedric can do that on the left as much. And we missed Tierney in this game. And I think it led to some interesting substitutions that arguably hurt more than they helped. And we'll come on to that. I, I thought Thomas Party was excellent. And, and Paul, before we get too stuck into the refereeing side of things, just really quickly, you know, for me, he is, he and Saka are really the best players at Arsenal right now. And, and what Party does is is something that, you know, I said this on the instant reaction pod. I, I am very vulnerable to being won over by analytics arguments and stats-driven arguments. I think there's going to be a reckoning a bit of, you know, where stats can evolve and where they can develop. There's some places where I think they're obviously exceptionally valuable and you see the teams that use them thriving with them. But I think we know central defenders, for example, the stats for that still evolving, still not particularly effective, goalkeeping a bit. Um you know, there were a lot of questions about Leno from an analytics standpoint, and I think he's been fantastic. Central midfield's another one. You know, Thomas Party doesn't do the things that necessarily fill up the stat sheet, so to speak, but he, with a little shimmy, with a little move, with a little sense of when to step past a defender, 
and and turning defending into attack or turning the recovery of possession into a chance to play forward. He transforms the way we build play. And, and I think it would be a shame if we didn't just take a minute to sort of celebrate that and then maybe also wonder you know, where we stand with this guy from an injury standpoint. He hardly ever was injured at Atletico. And now this seems to be an issue. And I, I think, you know, I, reading now, Chris Wheatley, I think, said he's in line to be able to play at the weekend. And my fear is, does that put Benfica in jeopardy? So do you want to just quickly maybe take a moment to, to sort of praise what party is doing and, and question a little bit about where we stand with this player in terms of utilization and, and what we should do for the next two games. Yeah. So like, I think you have to be a hell of a player to not play particularly well and still be highly beneficial. And uh, like we talked about this before, I didn't think this was anywhere near his best game. I, I think he flubbed kind of a lot of situations, passes, etc. And yet He's this this reference point, this north star for how we play in midfield. And I thought uh, some people didn't uh, still don't 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 see this performance from Chaka as a good one. I thought Chaka was great in this, but he's great because him and party are great because uh, that provides a balance. Party can do whatever he needs to do. There's nothing he, Party can't do really as a as a deeper lying midfield who can get forward. He can hurt teams in so many ways, and whatever he does, he does quickly, decisively. He can play from either side to either side, do what he wants with the ball, ping it. He takes risks; they don't all come off. And you know, part of the reason you that maybe I look at a game like this and say he didn't have his best every game is because he's always going to try stuff. And this was a game where we had to try things. And if it didn't come off nine times out of 10, we'd get the ball back anyway, because that was the flow of the game. So you try your stuff. And I think I tend to want to look at every game as a, uh, a Chaka party performance in midfield. And I don't really care which one of them had the better game. As long as overall that pairing works and I think I I said before we really got going seeing this partnership uh, in midfield <clears throat> that they would find their own balance and it would change from game to game, or at least that's how I kind of hoped and imagined it would work out because they both have their strengths and they can't both be doing all their stuff all the time. Like the game doesn't allow for two guys pinging at both sides all game long or I mean, it'd be nice, but you're not. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be rare you have two players just lighting it up, zipping it between the lines. One's kind of got a okay. He's feeling it. You know, he's he's the quarterback today. I'm going to make. I, I'm going to play off him. I'm going to vibe off him. I'm going to provide a little more defense, a little more cover. Chaka can get forward. Chaka can drop really deep. But you'll see. You know, there were a couple of moments I saw. Party drop exactly into that left back spot you th- associate with Chaka because Chaka was on the ball and doing stuff. And but Chaka always has more room these days than, uh, or at least in the games we've seen recently, than he's had at any time before. He's no longer the guy you 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 trigger the press for, not because he wouldn't be the guy you'd pick. It's just because it's we we got enough going on around him, aka Party, that we're not under pressure in midfield and we can hold our own and they're both pretty beefy. So, uh, the, the phys- you, you don't think, Oh, I'll go on both. 
you don't set up a plan to bully this midfield, at least not in that way. Um, so, like, I think it's a testament to God, to a guy that he's not firing on all four cylinders and he still, still makes our midfield tick and he's this reference point for everybody and we have structure that we have not had in a long time. We might have had a one-off game with a Sabios or, or whoever, but uh, game in, game out, there's a structure to our midfield and you can't say exactly how it's going to be because Party will play almost, not quite box to box, but he'll be the guy upfield sh- shuffling or he'll be, they'll, they'll play in line or they, they just kind of riff it a little bit depending on which side of the pitch is going. I mean, Chaka's going to hit the left-hand side nine times out of ten and he's, he, he's got the outside swing left pass and... So that kind of tells you where he's going to be and and party, depending on what's going on in the game, finds his spot either further forward. Mm. I think that piece works really well between them. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, we've seen Granite Shaka for a long, long time, and anybody who's listening to this podcast knows I'm not a Shaka guy. I, I think when all of a sudden Granite Shaka looks really, really good for a run of several games, and it's when Thomas Party starts with him as as his double pivot partner you got to just give Party some credit for being the kind of player that allows you to get the best out of Shaka because Shaka is sort of, again, we've had a lot of these, right? Goldilocks players who can look really bad if the situation is wrong and look pretty good if the situation is right. And it turns out that Party is good enough to create a situation for Shaka where he can thrive. And I think it's about responsibility. You know, when a defender or a man is marking party, he can step past him, he can pull another man to him and give it to Shaka with more time to operate, more of a field of vision ahead of him, you know, where he's not the one who has to pick up the ball in the first phase under pressure. And maybe, look, maybe he's watching party and emulating him a bit more because it feels like the ball's coming out faster from Shaka too, you know, that he's moving it faster. These things are always tricky to evaluate and Granite Shaka feels like he's got nine lives because every time you're prepared to say, all right, that's it for him, something happens that... Pulls him back into the team and and into one of the better performers in the team, but I think Party deserves credit for that. So Tim, we um we move into to a section of the podcast that I hope will not be the, the cut and thrust of the whole thing, but I think it is important. You, you know, we touched on the rotational fouling sure. and and what it did in this game in terms of breaking up our play. So I, I want to kind of break out the refereeing thing into a, a few little mini discussions without you know getting too far down the rabbit hole in this. The first thing is, I think I speak for the whole podcast when I say, you probably come to the wrong pod if you want us to say there is a conspiracy against Arsenal. That that referees have decided to punish Arsenal, don't want Arsenal to win, and game in, game out are doing their best to ensure that doesn't happen. So, none of us believe that. That's a relief. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think none of us believe that. It can be true that we've had a bad run of of calls go against us. I want to make one quick point about that. Whenever these things go around, right, people will circulate still shots or video clips of clearly wrong decisions against us. And I want to be clear. They infuriate me too. They get my ire up. I get emotional, visceral reaction to them. The one thing that nobody does, understandably, is there's no video clip or photos circulating of the times we got off easy. We had a decision go our way. A referee ruled in our favor in a 50-50 year. And I realize it feels right now, because we're in a run of a few really, really painful decisions, that that never happens. 
it would be interesting to have sort of a, a an objective observer, a non-Arsenal fan, and a, a neutral, the dreaded neutral, really go through it and say, okay, guys, you're right. You had eight really bad decisions go against you this season that really cost you, but what you're not realizing is you had 10 that went for you. Because we don't remember those. You don't remember the times you got away with it. So that, that definitely clouds it. Um, it's, I think there's sort of a survivorship bias, I think would be the logical bias there, right? When, when Arsenal gets away with it and the decision goes in our favor, we don't log it. But when Arsenal gets screwed by a decision, we log it, we remember it, we circulate it on social media. But Tim, I guess what I would say is, if not a conspiracy, is there a way you can sort of explain what does feel, candidly, like a really bad run of some calls going against us? And... and and in particular, in light of VAR, and, and I've got a theory on this, but I'll stop talking because I've been talking too long already. But because obviously, like, the Lacazette one comes to mind. Emmy Martinez has grabbed Lacazette's shirt, pulled him onto him. They've gone down. The foul's been given on Lacazette. And upon further review, the foul's still been given on Lacazette. Um, the non-red card on Saka, I don't want that to be a red card, but we've all seen situations, granted, Saka comes to mind, where it's been given. So do you have a sense of why maybe, apart from conspiracy, which we don't believe, <laughs> we're we're in this position where we feel very aggrieved by a lot of decisions that candidly do look like they're going the wrong way. Um, I'd say try and find me a supporter or a supporter base of a club that doesn't feel like that. You know, um, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Like you, you, you just don't log those things. So, for example, um, you know, I, I tried to use this as an example um, on social media recently. Because, like, like, earnestly, I didn't remember this, right? But um, the, the Ceballos um, away at Everton in December, bit of a stamp, very, very, like, actually identical to the Bruno Fernandes um, on Xhaka incident. Um, like, just a rake down the Achilles. Um, VAR reviewed it, didn't get sent off. Absolutely identical incident. And the reason I found that so interesting is because even I, like, I say even I, like I'm the bastion of bastion of neutrality. You are. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't remember that. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. And and it's like, like you really, really don't like, like even when you're like, you're trying to be objective, you just don't remember those things. It's, it's just the way your brain works. Um, it, it really, really is. And none of us, like none of us are free from that. None of us are free from that. It's, it really is as simple as that. In in this game, I, I like I can't like, yeah, the, the Lacazette thing, it could have been a penalty. I, I have to be honest. I think it was a little bit six of one, half a dozen of the other. I do think as well that Lacazette, like the way... Ooh. Boo. Well, so, well, so, so can I stop you thing. for a second? But I'll stop you for one second. This is where I think still shots are so dangerous. Yeah. Because yeah. if I bowl into you, and then as you're falling back, you grab my shirt for stability, and I grab a still shot, it's going to look like I am pulling you down. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened. But still shots yeah, yeah. are pretty useless. And that still shot looks a lot more clear cut than what actually happened. Yeah, yeah. So in this scenario, I think there's like a little bit of back and forth that, that you see at every single corner. And then I think like basically Martinez is trying to do what every goalkeeper does is get Lacazette away. Lacazette does what every striker does and goes, no, I'm standing here. Thank you very much. But the thing is, the reason like that, like I didn't really think it was a penalty. Like even when I saw the replay, I was like, hmm, like it wouldn't have been like an error to give that. But at the same time, I understand why it wasn't. Um, and, and honestly, I think um, this is one of those things that is just quite recent and particularly at the moment where every single game is on TV in the UK and everybody is, is like, as soon as there is a decision, everyone knows about it, even if they're not watching the game. 
and this is just one of those things that it's probably in pre-var but certainly like 15 years ago like nobody would even have looked at um but i but i think the reason i think there's some there's some reasonable doubt here is that why would you pull someone's shirt and pull them on top of you so that you fall over when you're the goalkeeper like that doesn't make sense like what's happened he's got a hold of lacazette's arm and lacazette has like gone okay i'm gonna use this and he's like you know, he's he's like falling into him and he's he's trying to be like, OK, you've got a little hold of my shirt there. I'm going to use this for all it's worth. And I'm just going to like nudge into you. And when I fall over, you're my, like my shirt's going to be in your hand. Like that is not a natural thing to do, to pull the striker on top of you as a goalkeeper so that you fall over and can no longer do your job like that just doesn't happen. But um, he's pulling the striker towards him because there's a cross coming in and he doesn't want Laka to move towards it. Mm, yeah yeah maybe maybe um, I, I mean think- so i'll tell you i agree with you to an extent tim in that i think it was a penalty but it always looked a bit soft to me yeah and like, and that shit does on, go on in the penalty box all the time but yeah like sh- surely like i th- the way i look at it is it, it could have been a penalty but those are almost never given yeah. like i very very rarely see those given um, so, well, so yeah, like, I, I, I completely understood that. Right. And, and it's because like, because we're still carrying like the luggage from the Wolves game, like it, it feels very, the world's against us. The Saka one, like, I'm sorry, it's just not a red card, um, the, the foul. And, and in fact, when you see it on replay, like if, if it's swiped Saka's leg, like I always kind of say in that, like in that gray area, when it's like, oh, is that denial of a goal scoring opportunity? I'd say as a ref, I'd let the defender make that decision. And if it's just an intentional swipe of the legs as a ref, I'd go, OK, you thought it was an it was a clear goal scoring opportunity, which is why you've done that. But when you look at it, it's it's actually accidental. Like, I think it's a foul, but it is just like a bit of a tangle of legs. Like, I think that would be an incredibly harsh. If Granit Xhaka hadn't been sent off at the halfway line a few seasons ago, no one would be calling for that to be red. Yeah, but we yeah, all yeah, remember yeah. that injustice. Or yeah, Louise, yeah. <laughs> But but the thing is as well, like Koscielny got sent off for one, like and and so this is where we as football fans, this mm-hmm. is where we kind of pollute the conversation when we talk about our own teams. I can remember that Lauren Koscielny got sent off for that exactly against Newcastle, but it was in 2010. It was 11 years ago. <laughs> but like we're we're so like and I want justice. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We're so like I promise you, in every single one of these fucking compilations people put together they put man united right in october that was 17 years ago and they still you know? haven't put it right they still haven't <laughs> rectified it it's do you know what i mean because like our memories go back such a long way like our grievance tab is massive and at the same time when danny sabios like what eight weeks ago stamps on someone like we get that men in black amnesia right on us and we don't remember it like it's just and and look i'm not i'm not saying um that referees are perfect i'm not saying there isn't a discussion to be had about how arsenal are seen i definitely think um i don't think it's so much now but i definitely think some years ago we were seen as like the weak and vulnerable team who probably deserved a bit of a kicking because that's how you play arsenal and i definitely think stuff like you know a foul by a burnley player is given more lenience than a foul by an Arsenal player because of the way you play all, all of those things come into it I think I think unconscious bias comes into it I'd love to see some data on um, how for example players of colour 
are treated for certain tackles. Um, and, and that's not me saying all oh, the refs are racist. Like it's just unconscious. Some of them. Un- <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them might be, I don't yeah, know. Sure. But, like un- unconscious bias is a thing that exists, right? We all have it. Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily make us all bad people, but like, you know, there, there are discussions to have there. Foreign but, players, like, domestic on, players, England internationals, it always into Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Like, so after the Wolves game, right, I completely understand why the Louise red card is a discussion point. Of course, I understand why that's a discussion point. On the back of this game, it's just a bit like, well, we might have had a penalty and there was, but that's never given as a penalty. And there might have been a red card, but that's never really given as a red card other than in really rare scenarios and just quickly on the rotational fouling it's frustrating as hell but the reason it's so effective is because there isn't really a good way to referee against it unless you because like what can you what can you really do about it you can give a a card every single one that should be a card and if the team goes down to eight men they go down to eight men i mean that is is, you could do that (laughs) no but this is the thing about rotational fouling most of them aren't yellow card fouls they're not that severe they're just annoying and they break up the game and so what like the only really tool you've got from a referee is and this is what they're told to do and what they should do is once you spot it you talk to the captain and you say right from now on um even if it's not that severe a foul i'm I'm giving yellow cards from now on because i I know what you're doing you know what you're doing i know what you're doing so that that's i'm going to referee the foul slightly differently from now on stop it that's all you can really do you can't start just sending people off for like shirt tugs and that it like that that's why teams do rotational fouling because it's really difficult to referee against so So, uh, that's just it's annoying but you know there's there's not really unless you introduce the sin bin which i i wouldn't be against i I don't really see what you can do about it yeah i would say this if a referee is going to get a call wrong I'm always more inclined for them to get the call wrong where they don't intervene than where they do. Yeah, yeah. If you follow yeah. what I'm saying. So, like, if they're going yeah. to miss a red card, that's better than giving an excessive red card. If they're going to miss a penalty, yeah. that's better than giving a soft penalty. Because what I'm saying is the fewer games that are ruined by or totally changed by the referee, the better. But I think rotational fouling is the one area where I slightly disagree and think the referee can't abdicate responsibility because. It is a tactic that is against the laws of the game and and teams shouldn't be allowed to engage it. Two super quick things before I come back to you, Clive. Um, one related to VAR. So I am a proponent of VAR. I know you're not, Tim. I, I like VAR. I think VAR is used terribly. I think VAR... The technology isn't the issue, right? It's the judgment. Ultimately, all VAR is is a chance for a referee to get a clearer second look at something they might not have seen right the first time. Here's where I'm going to get maybe a little controversial, but this is, the, this is the problem with VAR. In the past, if a referee made a bad call, Mike Dean sends a guy off. People go, ah, oh, he fucked it. Oh, he fu- look, at the, look at the replay. replay. He, fu- he fucked it. He got the call wrong. But Mike Dean didn't get a chance to see that. Now, if Mike Dean walks over to a monitor or the guy in the booth looks at the, the video and the video shows what we all seem to think clearly it's not a red card and they don't overturn the decision now it looks like a conspiracy now it looks like they're out to get you right because before you could say i just he, he didn't see it oh look there, he was obstructed or oh, he made a bad bad call in the moment and we r- rule it out as just a shit ref who needs you know oh, ref needs glasses but once you look at the replay and don't get it right then the injustice grows because it feels like it's intentional and i think that slight change and it's clearly not intentional but that slight change 
it then gets imputed to, oh, the ref's ego was too big to overturn his own call, or there's a conspiracy, or they're protecting the referee, whatever the case may be. And that changes it slightly from the ref just blew it to the ref is intentionally going after us. The ref, the ref did something to us. And the sense of injustice, I think, is greater. And so, you know, I think that leads to bad outcomes. Um, you know, and Clive, the the thing with the technology is just that it also it makes those decision points more memorable, so to speak, because sometimes with the pace of the game, if a call is missed and they don't get a replay to the fans and the fans don't get a replay of it till 10 minutes later or even after the game, then it doesn't become as big a talking point. But when they stop the game and go to the monitor and it's replayed 10 times and they talk about it and they still arrive at a bad outcome, then it becomes a really clear talking point in the game. So for me, while I like VAR, I think the problem with VAR when it's used wrongly is that it actually ratchets up the sense of injustice instead of the opposite. Does that seem like a fair analysis of that? Yeah, it does. And up to a point, because I think the technology has, has exposed the game and, it, and exposed all of us on how we absorb the game. And we, we te- technology brings expectations that there's no room for interpretation anymore. You must see it my way. And the laws of the game are full of the word interpretation. And for me, the fun of the game is how we all interpret the game, how we see the game, how we feel the game. And those sort of soft factors, intangibles, is, is, is the fun. And when you bring technology in, you are expecting perfection. You are expecting 99.5% percentile. You're expecting everything to go exactly as you see it, because now you see what I see on the TV screen. And the human error factor is now gone, because you must see it my way. Actually, within that TV screen, there's still interpretation of the rules. Was Salah's penalty yesterday? Was it a penalty? For me, maybe not. In the, quote, modern game, maybe yes. The defender got caught the wrong side. Is that really a penalty? Not sure anymore. The game's evolving, he said, as I said earlier. And I think we're getting a little bit, we're getting a bit of a mess here. But I don't want to go fully into this. I don't want to, Mm. (laughs) because I want to say something. We're getting a bit of a mess here, and it's causing... Well, so so maybe we can just point this out, Clive, and I think you'd be good to articulate this. It can be true that the last two games we have had some harsh calls against us. Um, And it can be true that those calls were wrong calls, and it can be true that those calls were important calls. It is not true that those calls decided the game. Um, Now, I know in the Wolves game, it's pretty hard to escape that conclusion. But my point is, in the Wolves game, we go to sleep at the end of the first half. They get in on goal one-on-one with the keeper. That is our fault, not the referee's fault. There is then a contact, slight contact on the stud of the guy running. It can be given a penalty. It cannot be given a penalty. We got punished as harshly as possible. Penalty, red card. It's the wrong call in my view. But it comes from a mistake we make. Down to 10 men against Wolves, the game is recoverable. We concede a goal. All right, it's a Galazzo. There's not much we can do about it. We then have our goalkeeper sent off and go down to nine men making the game not recoverable. That is not the referee's fault. That's our fault. In the Villa game, again, there were calls that went against us that could have made the game easier, could have pulled us back into the game. But there is nothing saying we could not... Odegaard could have finished his chance. Lacazette could do better on that counterattack. Pepe could curl that right-footed shot inside the post, not past the post. There are opportunities to score. You know, Aubameyang can do better to get more than a toe on that cross, or his header can be can be um, more forceful. With the, There was a good cross for him that he headed kind of tamely out. There was one where it came across and it looked like he left it for no reason, and it bounced off Odegaard's head for a goal kick. Um, bad decisions, maybe maybe less so in the Wolves game, but certainly this game, 
don't mean you have to lose the game, right? Like we, these decisions stink and they need to be rectified, but that's not why we lost to Villa. Is, is that a fair way of kind of characterizing it? Yeah, I think the decisions are one thing. I think we seem to suffer the harshest consequences. You know, we don't seem to get the benefit of the consequences, you know. I've seen many, since Shaka got sent off against Burnley, I've seen many sort of fisticuffs and people to pushing each other. I've not seen many other people get sent off. Do you, do you know what I mean? The consequences for us seem really, really hard. I remember Gabriel sending off, you know, we had two fouls in two, three minutes. I've seen that happen many other times. People get the benefit of the doubt, but Gabriel's been sent off. Do you know, it's the consequences of similar actions. I'm not sure the exact numbers, but I've, I've read somewhere that we've, we like, we've had the least fouls we've committed. But we've had the most red cards and yellows or something like that. It's really, it's really on the all the eighteenth, you know, least fouls and then but you know, our red cards and yellows are really, really high. And people know this stuff and they are they're looking for reasons to find to blame, right? So I think there's some historical things, particularly maybe the David Louise one at Chelsea and the David Louise one against City. Now we know the rules a little bit more, so the laws. Then we can look at the uh, Wolves one and say, well, actually that Chelsea one was really harsh really harsh you know going away from goal some on the line i think some of this is reputational some of this is some things that follow us but when it comes down to it games are won and lost in both boxes and we do stupid things in our box and we're not ruthless enough in their box i bet you arteta is thinking he's been talking about this for a while our lack of ruthlessness and finishing chances and when we were losing no one was listening. I don't know what I mean losing. I mean the pre-Christmas losing. Right. Yeah. No one was listening about finishing chances. We said, oh, we need to create more chances. We need to do more creative. We need to do this. We need that. But he'd been talking about this for quite a while. You know, the fact we're not scoring enough goals and we're doing stupid things in both boxes. Now, he shut the back door pretty well. But the front door, you know, I've just had a quick look now. Aubameyang, 27 games, 8 goals. Right? Lacazette, 27 games, 10 goals. They play 29 games, 7 goals. And, and Saka, 31 games, 5 goals. It's not enough. It's not enough. Now, Saka can be excused because he's a play time in defence and he's out, you know, he's more of a creator. But those three top boys with the big money and the big salaries, etc., have got to do more. And that's where we're falling down. And I bet you that's what he's focusing on because he's shut the back door, he's added creativity. Now we need to focus on what's going on in the box, right? And um, but yeah, we can blame these idiot referees. They're still going to be there. They're always going to be idiots. I've never seen a referee get cheered by a crowd too often, right? So they're always going to be idiots. But I think we need to focus on ourselves and what we're doing in front of the goal. It's really important. Yeah, well said. And again, I mean, goal scoring, I don't need to tell you this. Goal scoring is pretty important because when you score goals, you give yourself the ability to overcome bad decisions. I mean, this is the problem with football. The margins are so fine. It's such a low-scoring sport. And it's why the refereeing decisions do come under such scrutiny because you can play really, really well, like we did against Wolves, for example, and the referee can take it from you or make it feel like it's been taken from you. Paul, you had a a quick bit you wanted to add on that? Um, Like, I just think life's unfair. It just is for everybody. And we have this expectation of fairness that we're just not going to get now, as fans, we can discuss it, and that, that's fine. We can try and work out whether it's fair or not. What I liked, I think, about Arteta at the end of this, at least this was my reading, was he said, yeah, there was some stuff, but he went very quickly to the top teams don't make the mistakes we're making. Um, you, can, you have to 
have an attitude that you're going to address the things you can control and just having a having a sense the worst thing is thinking oh oh life's unfair and they're all against us and we don't really have that much a say in it, of a say in it because it's it's debilitating for a team in terms of addressing the real issues i mean we'd 90 minutes to score a goal 95 minutes to score a goal that was our big issue in this the more of an attacking team we are the more threat we create the more we'll get decisions in our direction, the more we'll get penalties, the more we'll get free kicks around the area, the more we'll get, et cetera, et cetera. You, like, we can worry all we like about how there might be some kind of direct or indirect um, uh, uh, bias against us or conspiracy or whatever. I mean, uh, on the surface, it seems highly implausible. You could be running, going through a bad run of look statistically entirely reasonable and yes it always feels it's our it, it is arsenal but life always feels unfair and usually it is unfair so y you control what you can you get better at what you can get better at and th the last thing in the world we want is this oh l unlucky arsenal thing to infect our squad our team our manager and for them to think that the dice is loaded against them because there's fuck all they can do about it apart from be savvy and aggressive and proactive and and just lean into playing better and better more you know there, there's a lot of things they can do to win and i think results results will start to fo follow in large part it won't be alex ferguson's kind of look we get going forward but hopefully those days are gone too um by and large uh, get your mentality right, get positive, get aggressive, and results and decisions tend to start to lean your way, is how I feel about it. I certainly don't want the squad buying into this, oh, how unlucky we are shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it can be helpful after a game like Wolves so that you don't like your head go down because you played well, you should have won. The, yeah, the yeah. ref the, made a call that ruined it. There's a way yeah. to, yeah, yeah, there's a way to say, the Look, world's against us. We're, you know, like a siege yeah, mentality yeah. kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's a way to use it for you, but you got to use it for you. You can't be, oh my God, feel it's, sorry for it's all against us. Yeah, yeah, I agree because then you, you, you feel like you lose agency, right? Like it's it's yep. not within your control. Well, look, that's enough um, sticking our head up our own asses and, and examining the space inside uh, when it comes to referees and, and decisions. Let's get to actual football again before we get out of here. And, you know, I think as this game wore on and we were increasingly frustrated to, to not get the goal, Arteta did something very different, very different than what he's done in the past. He didn't make like-for-like like swaps. He he continued with this thing he did at Wolves, which is sort of a fuck it, throw on the attackers, take off a fullback, you know, bring on a forward, right? Take off, take off. I mean, he did the like-for-like like with Lacazette for Aubameyang, which made sense, but, you know, it, there, was, there was a willingness to throw on attackers and try to keep more pressure on. Before we get to the center forward thing specifically, Lacazette, Aubameyang, which I think is becoming a really sort of important talking point and and maybe not as clear cut as we'd like it to be. Tim, I, I was encouraged to some extent, but I, I think this is where missing Tierney really hurt us because moving Saka to left back actually worked in this game. So I can't really argue with the outcome. Mm. And you can't you can't argue a negative. I can't, you know, I, I don't have a counterfactual here for what would have happened if he didn't move Saka. I still think I'd rather have Saka on the right as a forward and someone else 
at fullback. And if that had been Tierney, I don't think he would have felt the need to make that swap. Um, but he does make that swap, and it seems to work. Aubameyang, Lacazette, whatever. It's the Willian sub for for um, Pepe. Am I Pazzi. right? Pazzi. Uh, that's right, yes. Uh, for Party because Party gets injured. He brings him on. He moves Pepe over to the right, and and he he brings Willian on. And that, that didn't really work. And interestingly, leaves Martinelli on the bench. And Martinelli, not a player he has used... That much in the last couple of weeks, I realize he's been injured as well, so there, there may be other factors there. Do you have a specific issue with any of the subs he made? I mean, it's going to be easy to just point to the Willian one. What I don't want to do is lead you into a big Willian conversation, because I think <laughs> you're probably exhausted of saying the same thing about Willian you've been saying all season, quite rightly. But how do you feel about the end game here? How we how we managed that last period of the game, chasing the game, and and you know, is that the one sub particularly he got wrong for you? Yeah, big time. The the other two I had no problem with, and and let's have it straight. He he was going to bring Willian on for someone else, and Party got injured and couldn't couldn't really be asked to bring on someone else. So he, mm. so he went for that, and 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 that like that's kind of all right. I kind of get that, but yeah, not to repeat myself, don't put Willian on the left. But it, it, not even just that, but like that that Jakasaka Pepe triangle was really really working for us, and I really had a good feeling um, about creating definitely a big chance at least through that avenue and breaking it up I think completely broke up the rhythm of the game we started playing with two inverted wingers absolutely played into Villa's hands because what they wanted to do was defend the width of the box and we were causing them problems because we we had a nice spread on that left hand side we had Saka and Saka was is great for these scenarios because he's great at driving the ball and when you're playing a team that sits deep um, a fullback that drives on and, and Tierney does that brilliantly anyway but when you know the fullback's got space to drive into and basically he just gets the the ball up the pitch more quickly than Cedric can because he's quicker and he's naturally left-footed. And I, I just and that enabled Pepe to move inside. And I think we had a really nice triangle there. Then all of a sudden we got two inverted wingers. That means they're not getting in the area. They're getting the ball out wide on the corner of the area, exactly where Villa want them. They want to defend nice and narrow. We've made it nice and easy for them. Uh, awful, awful substitution that last one. And I think it cost us a chance of um, again. Like I, I can't give you the counterfactual what would have happened but I think it cost us the chance to try and get a point from this game so um, big mark against Arteta I think that substitution in particular um, and, and and like I, I agree the first two I was kind of enthused I was thinking okay he's you know he's not really having to change the system that much but he's he's looking at the game that's in front of him we're playing a deep block now let's just get more attackers on I think I think that made a lot of sense but that you know I even bringing Willian on and just having him on the right and leaving uh, Pepe where he was would have would have made a hell of a lot more sense to me. I, d- I don't really understand why, what the thinking like. I I still can't reconcile it. Mm. Um, nearly three days later, I, I don't really know what he was thinking. Can I ask you just a, a, a typical Elliot question? But I just got to throw it out there. Would we be a little harsher on Odegaard if he wasn't some loney who just arrived for us, but was some player that we've been watching play at Arsenal for three seasons? That's that's a really good chance, and he blasted a mile yep. over the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think Lacazette or Aubameyang would have got pelters for that. Um, certainly, yeah, that that's that's probably well, that was the best chance we made, and it was nice build up on that left hand side. So, yeah, he he's got to be at least working the goalkeeper there for for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, look, this is a guy who at one time was like considered the best player, in La, not the best player, but you know, one of the best performers in La Liga last season at Real Sociedad. He's a Real Madrid player. He's, you know, we brought him in to be another threat in that position. He comes on in a game that we need a goal trailing. He gets into the perfect position. Again, you can miss those chances, but if he puts it on frame also, there's a lot of people crashing the net. There's also, look, Emmy Martinez makes a fantastic save from a Granite Shaka free kick that was brilliantly struck. It wasn't our day. You, you just, sometimes it's not your day. Clive, you don't agree with my Odegaard criticism. By the way, I'm not killing him. I'm just saying that's a really good chance, and he doesn't he doesn't put it on net. I just think if he wasn't someone who just pot turned up at the club and is making literally like his his okay, what, fifth minute of appearance, right? we'd 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 probably be a little more upset. I'll give you a scenario. We're two one up. Ten minutes to go. That ball gets cut back. We haven't seen him before. He takes that shot. We all walk away thinking, "Wow, what technique? What power? We didn't need it to go in." I'm hugely encouraged by that shot. I'll tell you why. Because my worry about him before he came was his power. Would he have enough shooting power? Would he be able to have the power to survive in the Premier League? Because he's quite slight. And the way he moves... Clive, I can hit it really is. hard into Rosette. Put me out there. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> no, I have the power. No, I, maybe maybe I, I can't me. reach Rosette. I can reach real like C. Maybe. <laughs> uh, and so he just he, he actually answered the question for me, actually. So I'm hugely encouraged by his performance in this game and what he could be just from seeing that little snippet. And um, again, we wanted we want a goal desperately. We feel a little bit... We feel a little bit uh, bruised by what's happened in the week. We don't think we deserve to lose those two games and we need him to score and he didn't score. But none of us know him. We haven't seen him live. We haven't seen him shoot. Well, I just think it's a little bit harsh. But hey, well, it would, would have been nice. Would have been the moment that we came without doubt. If the top quarter that would have been a brilliant goal. We'd be it was a good move. Him. I think that was a frustrating. Really was, you know, we, we, we created the move and he's in the right place. And I, <laughs> Please understand, I wasn't saying let's kill the guy. I'm just saying it was a really presentable chance. And did we? I don't hear a lot yeah, of people talking did. about that mischance. You know, it's our yeah, best chance. I think game. he's a real penalty box guy. From, I don't think so either. From, from my research, he he's great at passing into the box, but he doesn't dribble in. He doesn't really. He's not Smith Rowe driving into the box. You know, he doesn't have that Ramsey vibe about him. And he's scored a few goals, but I've seen him seen him miss a bunch of of that kind of situation. He's not a real killer in the box. I haven't seen Paul. I haven't seen that power on any of the videos I've watched. Yeah, I mean, like, even his oh, free kicks are stroked. Yeah. yeah, they're stroked. You know, Erzo hasn't got superpower. He strokes the ball, right? So I've watched him, and I see his pace of pass, and I see all this stuff, but I haven't seen that raw power. I thought, wow, that surprised me that. Because that means you know he can he's got different ways of taking dead. You balls. don't think it's it's using the ball the the speed of the ball coming to it. I mean, I once in my life absolutely plowed a ball into the net, and it was kind of like the power was off the ball. I just managed to get the, the timing right. In, the power's in the technique. Exactly, you, you nailed it. The power's in the technique, contact, and the timing. Yeah. And I was surprised, genuinely surprised, and and really encouraged. It was one of my highlights of the weekend, and when most of my teams lost. Right, so um, and so that is the sort of stuff you tap into, right? And think, okay, this is interesting. Now we can set the play to you. You you can do it. So uh, I'm I'm thinking that's a really encouraging moment. I know we lost the game, right? But looking forward because that player looks looks quite interesting. And, and the thing I got most excited about with Odegaard was him and ESR on the on the pitch at the same time, connecting, uh, finding each other. Uh, working in the other guys. I mean, maybe it was a bit of Villa sitting back and it being game state and the phase of the game at that point. 
but uh, it didn't feel like one of those players was redundant. Um, I thought, like, I want to come back to the William thing a little bit. I thought he was okay. Uh, I don't mean great. Uh, and um, I'm letting you sail out on this island by yourself. Yeah, by yeah, I, I, know. I am not going to first mate this ship. <laughs> but but I have two words to say to you, Granite mm. Chaka. Mm. Uh, a a broken clock is okay. Occasionally, has some kind of a point. Well, right? Will, William, I, let's give him credit. He was fine in that second half against United. I, th- I thought he was. Pre- if yeah. you want to give credit, there, there's where it belongs. I don't. I don't see the credit I, deserved in this game. <laughs> and I think he's okay in this, like just not great. And I don't know that the subs were terrible. I mean, we talk about attacking them from both sides. I mean, Saka was on the left and doing a lot from when Willian came on. And so there was this, there was a triangle forming with Saka, Willian, ESR in particular. And like, I'm not saying Arteta got the subs right ultimately. I think, you know, if you bring on Oba, uh, you either put him on the left and kill whoever you're having there, Pepe, or you bring him on for Laka. So I think we all kind of get that one. Um, and we lost a little bit in buildup with, with Laka. Um, but we were still creating. I thought Willian was okay-ish in helping our triangles. I mean, we, we lacked just some can, killer can thrust from that? the left. It, yeah. So sometimes, right, sometimes the reason a player is bad isn't because they're like so painfully bad, but because they're Fair. less good than what you had going there. I think the reason a lot of people had problems with the Willian sub is we moved an effective player away from where he had been affecting the game positively and replaced him with a player who was not able to have that same cut and thrust and drive that the, the previous player had. You know what I mean? So it's I not, think that's very true. Yeah, okay. I, I'd be surprised, though, if our rate of chance creation was way... We were still creating stuff. I mean, the Odegaard uh, move, if you remember it, is... Hang on a second. ESR, Saka, William Saka, cut back Odegaard. Um, like, I think, uh, I think if you go back through it, uh, there's plenty. Like, 86 minutes, ESR, Willian, Saka opportunity. 89 minutes, Chaka, Willian, ESR, Odegaard. 90 minutes, Willian, Saka, ESR. Um, 94 minutes, Chaka, Odegaard, Pepe, chance. Like, the, there's quite a lot. I, I think we think it cooled down more than we think than it actually did i think there's a lot of stuff going on and i'm not saying willian was great and but but basically once you throw on all the attackers there's going to be a couple of people who are not optimally positioned and they were just free for they went where the opportunities were in large part and i don't think it's as bad as we remember it because we now had like seven fucking attackers on there swarming and yeah, guess what? Two or three of them aren't going to be, you can critique it as not being exactly where they should be. Mm. All right. So here's, uh, here's the so thing. I'm I, not, I want to say something I'm not here. saying the you have criticism as usual. is wrong. I just don't think it's massively th- that we lost what we think we did. There no, was no. going to be some suboptimal positions for some players to get all those players on at the same time. Yeah, we could have brought on Martinelli, but I don't think... Uh, you could argue against that Martinelli that you just needed a bunch of raw straight out attackers. I mean, mm, so where was, yeah. as usual, you have made a very cogent argument and I find myself agreeing with a lot of what you said. 
And I hate that because I'm still pretty convinced that bringing on William was wrong and that William should yeah, be banished. Yeah, might have been. Might have been. I just yeah. don't know that it was like I, I get a business. I think terrible. Go, I go, think Tim's point. Why not bring him on the right? You know, let's look at the player. He's always played on the right most of his career. Bring him on the right. We had the left side going. Can I ask you a question about right. that? Do you think the we fact that it wound up being for Thomas to the left is well, the challenge? Well, we could leave, leave Pepe on the, the left and and put um, put Willian on the right. But but my question to you, Clive, is: Do you think the fact that it wound up being for Thomas Party and that it wasn't the switch he was intending to make kind of confused things? And and Arteta didn't really get the moment to reconsider where he's putting him on and just make the more sensible swap because obviously it wasn't going to be for Thomas Party. And it wound up being for Thomas Party. No, so if you if you've got more time to think, you're bringing on Sabias in that situation, right? Yes, right. Yes, because Sabias is brilliant once the teams are pressed back, and he's got no real defensive work to do, and he can just stand there and clip diagonals over the top, little fades and little chips. That's what you do. But he's trying to keep the momentum going. We are losing. He's had an injury thrust upon him, and he's brought Winan on, and he's got got a bit wrong. I personally think we sometimes overplayed the sub thing a little bit. He's not bringing on some idiot. He's bringing on a, a, a supposedly decent player that should go out there and do the job. The real question is, at some point, Arteta's going to have to stop investing so much of his reputation in this player because it's costing him. It's costing him and it's, it's starting to damage him. And I think you got to say, at some point, you got to cut. you got to cut and say, okay, I know we spent a lot of money. I know potentially I was part of that decision. I know we've got wages tied up for the next two, three years, but it's not working. And I've got alternatives now that weren't there when we signed him. And I need to prioritise them because they are the future of this club. And he needs to do it. And that's a management decision. He needs to do it. He's going to talk to who he's got to talk to. So I sought the, sought the investment. I've, I've tried. I can't do it. I can't do this any longer. That's the sort of thing we should be talking about. I'll tell you now, we'll be here forevermore to talk about substitutions. Because if they if we win the game, they're right. If we don't, they're not right. Right. So in the end, I think there's a bigger problem here around the investment from Arteta in this player. I think he needs to be really careful. Yeah. Um all right. Well, so let's let's quickly, Tim, touch then on not the Willian issue, because ultimately going forward. I think Willian will continue to be less of a presence in this team. I mean, he gets chances, it's not working, and eventually a coach is not going to continue to reward you with chances. But one of Lacazette and Aubameyang, at a minimum, is going to continue to get chances. I, I mm. still think, based on how we're playing, Pepe, although somewhat frustrating in this game, and Saka, who is fucking brilliant, and Martinelli at times, will all be afforded chances to start on the left and right, respectively which means it's one place for Aubameyang or Lacazette. I think the days of Aubameyang playing mm. on the left aren't over, but I certainly think for for the games that count right now, you'd probably have Pepe as the first choice on the left. Fair fair to say? So mm. yep. given that, you've got to pick one for center forward. Aubameyang was bad in this game when he came on, so let's, let's not sugarcoat it. But, you know, I look at the Manchester United game and Lacazette has the counterattack where he decides to shoot from 20 yards out instead of just sliding it into Martinelli. There's the counterattack in this game where he's clearly got an option to Pepe on the left, holds it way too long and tries to give it to Saka when the, the pass is no longer on. We give Lacazette a lot of credit for things that aren't shooting and goal scoring. But I still see yeah. Lacazette get a lot of those things wrong. And, and again, he's been good for the most part. He is our leading goal scorer this season, I believe. I believe. And... 
he has been the starter during a period where the club is playing better. I don't want to dismiss any of that. But given the choice between the two, I still think the guy you have all the money tied up in and years invested in versus the guy whose contract is facing expiration, who, again, yep. this is a game where we have all the ball and Lacazette, zero shots in this game. So is that the straight swap, one for one? Where are you with the center forward situation? Because it feels it feels urgent that we figure that that roll out once and for all. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Elliot. Um, look, look, the the the, the league season now. We, we're not playing for an awful lot um, at the moment. Um, and I know I said this last season that this is as close to um, not consequence free, but like it, there's potentially less consequence in this season. Let's learn to do it. Let's learn to play with a Bamiyang up front. That. Like you say, that's where our kind of future is. For the left, Saka can play there. We've now made Pepe very usable there. Um, Martinelli can play there. Like the left is fine. The left is tied up. There are three at least really good players who can play there. So let's learn to play with the Bamiyang up front. I also th- I think Scott made the point um, on the Instant Reaction pod, you know, that a lot of the stuff Lacazette does is is not redundant, but it's less important with an actual number 10 in the team like Smith-Rowe. Um, and even if we could get to a stage where Smith-Rowe and Erdegaard are in the team and Saka, you know, basically, as I said earlier in the pod, we're actually kind of sorting the creative side. Well, I mean, maybe sorting it is overstating it, but there's, there's plenty of build-up player there. So let's learn to play with a Bamiyang up front. And it's one of those things where I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be all right overnight. Um, I, we, we're still going to have to adapt a little bit. But, I, you know, I was looking at the way um, United play at the moment where they've got Rashford and Martial just running and Greenwood just running around and Fernandez, and they just leave Cavani in the penalty area and say, that's your domain, do that. I was listening to a podcast today about Atletico Madrid and uh, they've bought Luis Suarez and they're about to walk La Liga. Um, and, and, you know, it's just like a, a one, I say a wonderful bit of recruitment. Basically, what was Atleti's problem? They had a really good team. They, they just couldn't score goals. Diego Costa wasn't doing it. They've got Lamar. They've got Joao Felix. Um, they've got, uh, what's his name? The winger we nearly signed. Um, is it Carrasco? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they've got all these like good build-up players and they just didn't have that point of the diamond almost. Now they've got Suarez and he's banging away goals even though he's 34. And because Suarez is not the same player anymore who can't do all the things he used to do, they've just gone, don't worry about that. Just stay in the penalty area and we've got like two you know, in Lamar and Felix, we've got two really young creators. We've got a quite experienced, like out and out winger. Let these guys do your running for you. Let them let them worry about how the ball gets into the box. You just stay in the box, and when it gets there, put it in the net. Mm. And that that is what we've got to learn to do with the Bamiyang. And I'm not saying it will be overnight. I think it, let's say Arteta decides to do this next game. I think it will take two or three games at least before that's like really, really there. But I think we've got to learn to do it. And then, and then we can talk about, you know, how do we get Martinelli into this team on a long-term basis? And, you know, does Pepe really have a future here or is he someone we should be looking at selling on? But, and, and, you know, this is a point we've made on this pod loads and loads of times, so I won't go into it other than to say, 
you know, we've given him a contract till he's 34. We can't have him running up and down the left wing. Like, let's, let's, you know, let's do the Suarez, Cavani, or as Clive says in the chat, the Vardy thing, and tell Aubameyang, just stay in the 18-yard area and we'll have at least three players do all your running for you and get the ball in the area for you. That, to me, is the way forward. And if it isn't the way forward in Arteta's mind, why on earth did we give Aubameyang a contract? It really is time. Like, it's really time to put our money where our mouth is there, I think. Mm, yep. And I I mean, we have put our money there, so we need to put our mouth where our money is. Is that the way you'd say it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we've... Yeah, exactly. We, 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 <laughs> we've put the money down. Now let's, like... We've got put our mouth where our money let's is. shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're on the pot. It's time to poop. Uh, God, this, this always goes in such fun directions. Um, Paul, I mean, do you... I, I, I guess what I want to ask you, certainly feel free to weigh in on the striker thing. And Clive, I'll get you one last thought on that before we, we say goodbye, but we should wrap this up. We're approaching 90 minutes, which uh, means there's three people left listening. But Paul, the when we were winning all our games, it was easy to call this a renaissance. Very easy to call it a renaissance when you're winning all your games. Harder to call it a renaissance when you've lost your last two. I find myself self still feeling that Arteta is in the midst of a renaissance because I still like the way we are playing. But... I also am cognizant of the fact that not playing like complete assholes who are unwatchable is where the bar was pre-Chelsea. The bar can't be not playing like unwatchable assholes. The bar has to be higher than that. So am I right to still feel that the renaissance is ongoing? Is it a little murkier than that? How do we evaluate a team that, you know, lost a lead with nine men to Wolves and then failed to score against a pretty bad Villa side that we gifted an early goal Despite the yeah. fact that in both games I felt, you know, one of the games we played our best half of the season, the other game I thought we looked pretty coherent the whole time. I am I am struggling to know if I am giving in to the low, the, the what do they call it, the soft uh, bigotry of low expectations, or whether this is still pretty encouraging in the main. Um, we could say it's neither, and we don't have to decide that right now. I think the problem with the framework of a bar is, uh, a bar is kind of that like... you're not allowed to go there because of the pandemic? No. Okay. A bar, the problem is, that's fine kind of when you're at the end of a season where you played the way you're going to play at the for a, an entire season. But like this is going to be at least two seasons in one. There was the team before we got our shit together and the t- team after we maybe got our shit together. It's This is a process and... I think anybody with their eyes open would say we're actually progressing now. So it's more of a trend line, right? And you, That's where the art is. Do you draw that line so that it's hitting this notional bar you have of where we're trying to get to and when? Um, I, To me, there's definite progress. I mean, defensively, okay, we, we had a screw up here, but generally our our defense has been one of our more solid aspects. And the challenge was always be for Arteta. Could he keep the mostly sound defense, which is where he started, the mostly sound structure that gave the the team some sense of control over their destiny, that they wouldn't be leaking goals, that they wouldn't get ripped apart on the counter as we did last time against Villa. Um, not so much this time, though they had their moments. Um, 
could we keep that sense of structure and control and having a spine and actually get into the final third on a regular basis and be creative and be what I think most people think is Arsenal DNA, creating attacking football, that, that that's our vision for how we play football. <clears throat> and we've now got into the final third. Now we've got to get into the penalty box and be more ruthless, more effective. I agree with Tim's uh, analysis of the Aubameyang-Lacazette discussion and going forward. I, I think there's lots of logic for how we've played with Aubameyang. Uh, you can hear Tuchel talk about uh, uh, Timo Werner uh, playing from the left because he has more space. You can hear Werner talking about it. I think we've maybe been a little harsh in our discussion on Lacazette and what he's contributed in terms of build-up and in the box. I think he's actually been pretty good recently and and there's some mileage still in that um i don't think he was ever going to do much against two big (coughs) lugs of center backs in this particular game so he didn't waste his time spending too much time in there he dropped in created play and then uh did his best to get into the box thereafter sometimes better than other times so there's a whole discussion about I think there's lots of logic for Lacazette through the middle and Aubameyang on the left. But for our future, uh, given the players we own and the players who need to get on the pitch, Pepe, Martinelli, etc., I I think uh, you guys put it brilliantly that that is what we need to learn to do because those are the players we we own. And Aubameyang running up and down the wing for the next few years uh, is is not the ideal use of him. So mm. let's learn to play through the middle with him. He'll probably still drift out to the left before coming back in again and learn to use the other players. And maybe it's, you know, maybe we find a, a balance with Martinelli off the left as another attacker. Yeah. But there's a lot to learn there. But I, there's, to me, there's obviously progress. Uh, I'm amazed how, fr- how quickly we get frustrated that it's not good enough yet. Of course, it's not good enough yet. I mean, well, there are no magic wands. I, I, mean, I don't. I don't aim this at the uh, at, at you, Elliot, or, or the conversation. No, I think, the I think it's been brilliant the last few weeks. I, I, I my I can pl- live with it. Yeah. No. Yeah. I uh, take it from me, the pessimist. I'm really encouraged by the way we're playing. Mostly, I think the pushback people would have the right to say is, he's only been here a year and a half now. Why have we been? pretty good for six games and he gets to escape with that judgment. By the way, that's not my argument. I'm saying that for the people who aren't satisfied by this little renaissance and wouldn't consider it such and want to view the larger context, they have that right to do it. There's a lot of football that was played before the Chelsea game that we've decided to ignore and our reasons for ignoring it seems to be, well, he wasn't playing the 4-2-3-1 with Smith Rowe between the lines before that. And like, uh, then the question the is major why not? defense for him is <laughs> yeah. all the extenuating circumstances. I, I mean, I he had it. 47 players in his squad. It's probably going to fuck you up a little bit. Whether he played Ozil or didn't play Ozil, and the that pandemic, was going to be a problem and, either yep. way. Again, yeah, yeah. I, so, you don't uh, have to explain uh, to me why these and are he didn't get situations. A, and I'm not, even, I'm not even saying that he doesn't have things to answer for. He's made lots of mistakes. I think he could have got here a lot quicker. But fuck it, a bit like the discussion on the striker thing and the players you own, you're at where you're at. Mm. I think he's a talented coach who's a brilliant communicator 
and uh, yeah, we're starting to play really well, but we're not very good in the box. So, what, where's the rush to judgment? No, let's see. You know, let's what see. else are we going to do? The danger is because I I don't think you want to give coaches forever to figure it out. That's just not how football nope. works. Even if you think they could be good, they don't get forever. The danger is if we get knocked out of the Europa League and you know lose to Man City and Leicester in February, which could easily happen. And the Premier League season is over for us. There's nothing left to fight. And the Europa League season is over for us. Even if he gets us playing better, it's going to be hard for anyone to come away from this season saying it was successful. And then what do you do? Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Bye. Bye. Um, Clive, uh, final two things here. You, you typed something into the chat that I just want to give you a chance to, to touch on, which is simply that um, we should Vardy Aubameyang. I, and this, I love this. because So, so, so let me say this. I think when people think of a, a center forward who runs in behind, they think, oh, that's for counterattacking. Like that a, that a center forward can't run in behind from, you know, open play possession in the final third. Mesut always got credit. His genius was floating into space, finding space between the lines. Well, I think Aubameyang's genius is finding space, even where none exists, in the box, here and there. I mean, even in this game where he was kind of bad, he had a header he hit poorly from a really good position he found. He got his toe on a cross when he found the position, and he had another one that he kind of left from a good position. But again, the ball and Aubameyang always seem to be in the same place in the box, and that is a skill. So you said we should Vardy Aubameyang. A little less responsibility in the buildup, a little more focus on his movement and his end product. Is that essentially where you're going with that? Yeah, just, uh, yeah Tim touched it. Just accept he's a low-touch player. Now we've got people around him, and I agree we, we need to have, you know, we've got a number of people. We've got Odegaard, we've got Smith-Rowe, we've got Sacco, we've got Pepe, we've got Martinelli. All of them want the ball. Good, high-touch players. We need to make them more scorers. We need to have a central striker that we can really just let him be the central striker. Now, the problem is, and let's let's really do this, right? The problem is, Aubameyang's, He's a better idea in our head as a central striker than he actually is a central striker. But every time I try to convince myself he can, I'm I'm okay with him being Vardy. When <laughs> he doesn't touch the ball, we don't get a chance to him, and he doesn't put his head where I want him to put it. I, I I sort of retract and I look at the numbers and I think he scored more from the left. We stick him out there. Then then when I build up and creativity is lacking, I think oh, you, we need a we need a creator out there who can score. And he's not really correct. He doesn't link up. So there's a problem. You know, there's a problem developing here that we've, we've got a contract with this guy. So I look at the forward group and I say to myself, "What's missing?" And what's missing is a forward that has got attributes that we haven't got. And I think we need to be thinking about a physical, taller, all-round player that is happy in that scenario at the weekend because. We've seen this a number of times. We need people that are happy in a crowded box that can, and I think it's a really important thing that can go the channels with physicality, but link up play, but spin and turn around. You see what William Jose did to us for Wolves? He won that chess ball down, chested it and spun. That's what that's what we're not doing. We're just chesting it down and saying that's enough. Mm. We far more aggressive with our movement into the box to be in the box to challenge people, to run through the lines, run into the box. Some of this can be coached and taught. And I think there's just an attribute missing. So we have, we've got our Danny Ings in, in Martinelli. We've got that sprinty forward. We've got that Aguero, wherever you want to you know, characterize him. 
We've got Pepe's like Amaris. You know, we've got our Kevin De Bruyne. We've got our we got our Bernardo Silva in Odegaard and, and Smith Rowe. We got our Foden in Saka. You know, tricky winger forward. We haven't got that central striker. I'm, I don't want to watch a game against Villa again and think the best forward in the pitch on you is on the opposition. You know what I mean? And I think that's not what Arsenal Football Club should be about. So Aubameyang, he's a guy we need to invest in because we already have. So Vardy him. But then when he's not doing it, when the game scenario doesn't suit him, we need somebody else. Physical stature, control that central space, link up. And when they drop into their box, they're still worried. Because when Aubameyang and Lacazette are forced into the box, they're not always as devastating as they could be. And if you want a reminder what it's like, I mean, just a quick reminder, I wasn't there, but I think Tim was, in Baku, how they were absolutely cut off once Chelsea squeezed the box. And if you remember that game, from that game onwards, we should be fixing that problem. And we haven't done. We just haven't done. You know what it makes me realise? Makes me realize why this whole stuff about oh, just buy good players that that sorts everything or you know you need backup squad is important. Like we bought Lacazette, and then the very next window we bought Aubameyang, and by virtue of having both of them, we have tied ourselves in knots trying to figure out how to make that work. Oba on the left rarely played through the middle, playing them both together. Not sure, you know, maybe Lacazette should start instead. And like, how much better would we be? Hell, even if we didn't get Aubameyang, which would break my heart, I love the player. And had a different player. And Lacazette was just the number nine and we worked around it. I'd rather be the other way. We never got Lacazette. We had Aubameyang and a different player. But this is the irony. By by virtue of having both of them, I think we've kind of fucked it a little bit in terms of how we've tried to use <laughs> the scenario, them. The best, the best scenario was we, we we don't buy Lacazette. We hang in there. We keep Giroud and we have Aubameyang. And then you've got your complete contrast for different game scenarios. They yeah. can actually do their jobs properly. And you have the Lacazette money to go buy something. <laughs> but anyway, enough of that. We, we can get into that in the summer or during an international break. Uh, we will rewatch some of the Villa game. We will do our Premier League roundup. We'll do all the usual stuff on Patreon. We hope to see you there. But if not, we're happy to see you here. Tim's on Twitter, at Stoberto. Thank you so much, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Alex Pithick. Bought me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Paul since he's gone and he can't hear it. We'll also have Scott back on in a future podcast, of course. And just thank you so much for being here. We we always enjoy uh, the, the chance to talk about the Arsenal together through thick and thin. Interesting times. Leeds next. I think there'll be a lot of pressure for Arteta to bring Party back if he's ready to face that Leeds press. But knowing that Benfica's around the corner and risking losing him again, it's going to be tricky. I'll be very curious to see how he picks the team uh, on Sunday. And if it has an eye towards Thursday. So still plenty to play for, but it's ticking away. You know, I, I think back to seasons. I can remember a season a little while ago. Gosh, Tim, you'll probably remember the season. Within about two weeks, we got knocked out of the Champions League, knocked out of the FA Cup, and knocked out of a would-be title race um, under Wenger, maybe in the early teens, 10-11 or something like that. Um, and, you know, this is one of those periods where whatever European Premier League aspirations we have and European aspirations we have, they're all going to be decided around that period of Benfica, City, Benfica, Leicester. So fingers crossed for that. All right, let's leave it there. Uh, We will be back with a regular pod on Friday and plenty of Patreon stuff between now and then. We love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Please do.